Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra. James is away on his holidays this week, so stepping into the hot seat, it's Andrew Allen. Good morning to you. I, I, goodly morning to you, I should say, because uh, Arsenal won the Community Shield. Yeah, goodly morning. Uh, thanks for having me on. I hope James is having a nice holiday. Yeah, I'm sure he is. <laughs> Taking some time off before the madness really kicks in of a new season, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I watched his uh, video after the game yesterday. It sounded like he, uh, you know, he, he obviously made the effort to tune in and all mm. the rest of it. And um, he was, uh, he made some good observations as usual, James. So, doing it from the uh, from the countryside by the looks of things. Yes, I don't know where. I don't, I'm sure um, uh, online analysts will be able to find out exactly where he was <laughs> by checking out the background of the video. Not that I'm suggesting anyone should do anything like that. Um, James will be back uh, next week. Um, um, you were there. You were at the uh, Community Shield in Wembley. Before we go into the nuts and bolts of all of this, it uh, must have been a, a nice day out. I know we were talking a little bit before uh, before you set off. And, you know, there's always a certain amount of trepidation when you're facing Manchester City. You didn't want to be on the end of the wrong result. And even if we could, in uh, our many ways, compartmentalize that if it happened, it is just much nicer to, uh, you know, to win. And to beat Manchester City in in kind of funny circumstances, which we'll get into. Yeah, I mean, we've got a pretty decent record at Wembley now. Um, stretching back, what, all the way to the, the Birmingham game, is it? I think maybe in 2011. We've pretty much won every game we've been there, which makes leaving that hellhole of a stadium much easier when you're, when you're happy and smiling. Difficult yesterday? Uh, it's always difficult getting out of there. Um, but look, there was lots of happy Arsenal fans and... Uh, uh, you know, you, it it does make it so 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 much easier. I think, you know, to be fair, I I, I get the sense from City fans that there's a certain level of um, Wembley overexposure for them as well. 
Um, mm. You know, I, I don't think they were absolutely, you know, massively excited about the entire occasion in the same way that maybe Arsenal fans were slightly starved, having not been able to go for the FA Cup and the Community Shield in 2020 and stuff. But yeah, it was a great day. I mean, the the, the weather in England has been pretty uh, horrendous recently, but the sun actually came out for that second half, and um, you know, Arsenal fans were having to squint into the uh, mm. into the sunshine as the penalty shootout was taking place. Um, yeah, and all in all, really good. I, I should do a quick shout out to, to to my usual mates who we always do a kind of Baker Street Pizza Express pre-Wembley uh, jaunt <laughs> and um, we order the lucky tomato salad and the lucky tomato salad has done it again so yeah thanks everyone yeah well thank you tomato salad for uh, masterminding that that victory yesterday nothing to do with Mikel Arteta or his players no, or their character nothing. or their determination or their will to keep going it's all about the tomato salad um yeah, we can be thankful for this uh, delicious fruit. Um, <laughs> I don't know quite where to start on this, but I suppose we should talk a little bit about the, the team selection. And it was more or less uh, what I thought it would be until we got into the final third, uh, the, the front three, if you like. And I wasn't really expecting Kai Havertz to start up top. I wasn't really expecting Gabriel Martinelli to start on the left, although... That's not necessarily a surprise. But Havertz as the nine uh, in this system was a bit of a surprise because we haven't seen it in preseason. But Arteta has talked about his versatility, his ability to play, you know, on the right, behind the striker, as a striker. And it felt a little bit like, A, this was a way of, of having a look at him in that position, you know, in a game that you want to win, it's important or as important as you want it to be, but it's, you know, there's no points at stake. So it's a chance to have a look at him in, in that sense. But then also it leans into what he said a few weeks ago about being a bit more unpredictable because, you know, I didn't predict it. I didn't see too many people predict Kai Havertz starting as the nine in their, in their team sheets. So what did you make of that decision? Yeah, I mean, I think Havertz himself might have been quite <laughs> surprised by the whole thing, given the noises around his being signed not as a as a number nine. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, he uh, yeah, it was it was it was definitely a, it was definitely a surprise. I mean, I personally, I thought Trossard might get a run out, given that Enketia had had quite a few minutes in midweek. Mm. Uh, but we're obviously seeing with Trossard, you know, an ability off the bench, which Arteta likes. But I mean, by and large, I mean. When I walked away from the stadium yesterday, I didn't walk away feeling that Havertz had necessarily had an amazing game, but there seems to be quite a split, I think, in, mm. in, in the way that people watch that game. And there were moments where I thought he did very well, and there were moments where I thought maybe it's just, you know, watching a new player closely, you know, the mannerisms, the way they make their work, you know, made the, the way they make their way around the pitch. Um, you know, he's... A, he's <sighs> I mean, he's tall and he's gangly and he, he doesn't kind of move really, really quickly. Mm. But he does have moments where he's obviously strong, can hold up the ball. And I, I did think actually in the second half in particular, some of his closing down was really, really good. And I don't know whether the TV cameras caught it, but Arteta was really impressed by, you know, his work off the ball, trying to chase down, uh, you know, City defenders who, who were mm. carrying the ball up, up the pitch. So, yeah, I mean... He, he displayed a willingness, which I think was more than anything, was quite impressive. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought he did quite well in general. It was a little bit of a mixed bag. I think there were a couple of moments where he could have done better. There was certainly 
one chance. I mean, the one that was saved with his left foot, he, he sort of, he he did as much as he could with it, I think, in, in the circumstances, and the keeper actually made a, a very good save. I think it's the chance with his right foot. There was an Odegaard pass to Saka, and Saka played it across. I think he really should have done better with that. Um, and there were a couple of moments where perhaps receiving the ball uh, as the, the sort of front man, you have to be a little more tidy. You have to make sure you keep control of it. But in general, I thought he did. I thought he did pretty well. Arteta said he was superb. The way he pressed and how intelligent he is to try and understand certain spaces and the timing of it, he was great and got in great positions to score. He was unlucky not to score, but he was very physical when he needed to be, so I was very pleased with him. So that obviously tallies with what you were seeing in the stadium and how he was leading the press, because that is part and parcel of what you've got to do as the nine in this system. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Arteta, you know, really was, you know, on the touchline, right on the edge, clapping him. When he when he when he tracked back, I mean, mm. it was that kind of level of encouragement. I mean, just going back to the the chances, I think if this if there's a positive to take from a from a player missing the chance, it's the fact that he was in that position. Right? Mm. He obviously knows how to to work his way into the box, and you know, on on two occasions as the ball came in from the right, he was there. He was a guy to pick out. Um, we've had issues of that in the past, but that's positive. It, I mean, the fact that the ball didn't go in the net kind of tallies with the stats that he had last season at. Chelsea is being a little bit profligate in front of goal. Um, yeah, so there's work on that, work mm. to do. I mean, uh, the question really is if this was just a test, whether or not we think it's a test we'll re- repeat. And I I don't necessarily see it being a test we're going to repeat at the weekend against Nottingham Forest. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know. Me neither, but I, I guess it will depend on how Arteta views Forest and what their weaknesses or strengths are at the back and how he feels he can exploit those you know uh, we've got a question which I think I might say for part two about you know our our options at number nine and and all the rest of it but you know we know uh, that Havertz has played there he's played there for us now Um, decisiveness in front of goal I think is is uh, a consideration or a concern perhaps but certainly in terms of how he led the line, Arteta was was particularly impressed. I mean, the game started in, I suppose, what you would call traditional fashion against Manchester City in that they controlled it from the start. And I'm, I'm curious as to what your thoughts were in the stadium because I think what we did was allow them possession but work very hard to control what they could do with it. And I think the fullbacks were very, very good. I think the central defenders were good. You have Thomas Partey in midfield with Declan Rice there. So there's like a physical presence, a solidity in there. And we came back into the game, uh, certainly in the in the second part of the first half. I think we got on top and, and played, you know, some some good stuff. But what did you make of it in the stadium? Did that feel deliberate to you that Arsenal were sitting off you can have the ball, but we're going to make sure that you don't get into the areas where you can really hurt us. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's what I'd call a wavy game. I mean, it came in wave city kind of controlling possession and then, uh, you know, go on for almost 10 minutes at a time. And then Arsenal would, would have five, six minutes of, of mm. probing themselves. Um, I thought Arsenal's shape was really good. 
uh, I haven't had a chance to to watch the whole game back, but just watching the first 15 minutes, how compact we are and the spaces between the players, that all looked really positive given that, you know, you had three new guys pretty much operating in a, in a triangle almost, you know, mm. with, with, with Havertz and Rice and, and, and Timber. Uh, obviously Martinelli was there as well, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought we were controlled. I mean, it was interesting listening to, to Declan Rice speak after the game about it being a game or a game of mini games, right? Mm. And I think that's how it kind of played out. Lots of little chunks of games where Arsenal maybe just thought, well, let's not do anything silly because let's look back at what happened in the second game last season where they absolutely destroyed us in the first 15, 20 minutes. And it was about getting our eye in, controlling the space, allowing them to do what they need to do, but Mm. without actually allowing them to get in behind us. I think... The first real chance of the game was what Rodri's effort that went just sort of spun past the post when um, uh, Declan Rice made a bit of a block. I mean, there had been a yeah. cross that had come in as well that Ben White had done quite well to clear. But by and large, I mean, we, we restricted them. Um, you know, there were a couple of moments where maybe we were a little loose in possession, I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't quite kind of break away in the way that you'd, you'd want. Um, Thomas Party a couple of times, it felt like maybe just kind of a little bit loose. Uh, but we got, you know, bit by bit, we kind of came into it. You know, City almost decided, okay, it's your turn to have the ball for a bit, and 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 we 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 played some nice stuff. It's really encouraging. Yeah, I mean the um, the way it sort of tilted our way after City had lots of you know their their dominant possession, which you know I don't know what you think, but I find exceptionally boring. Their football just leaves me absolutely cold. It's like a well-made-up corpse. It's just, <laughs> it. Ju- I just don't connect with it on any level. I, I can see the technicality of it, but, you know, it's just uh, death by a thousand passes, I guess. And I know that's part and parcel of what Arteta wants to do as well. And maybe we'll get there and we'll become that. But I, I would hope that um, we do it with a, with a bit more panache. But there was obviously some, some bits and pieces going on uh, in the game, not necessarily between the two teams, but the manager was booked. Thomas Partey was booked. Kai Havertz was booked. And it felt, you know, a bit like City players weren't being punished for the same kind of fouls. Um, Bernardo Silva made a couple of very cynical fouls and, uh, didn't get booked. I think Alvarez got booked for the same thing Thomas Partey got booked for, which is nudging the ball away when the ball goes dead. This is a new guideline, apparently. Um, you wouldn't have heard this, but basically on on ITV's commentary, it, it felt like you know it should have had promoted by PGMOL <laughs> all the way through it because you know they were like, oh, these are the new rules and these are good guidelines and this is you know this is going to stop players doing this is going to stop players doing that. And, you know, I, I found it a bit frustrating, I have to say. Um, you know, inside the ground, was there an awareness that this was a new guideline? I mean, the, these things always happen at the start of a new season, don't they? They say, these are the new guidelines. We're going to be really, really strict on this. And in the early weeks uh, and months of a season, you know, referees are, and then they tend to forget all about it and it just sort of fades into the background again. I kind of feel like that's probably where we are with this stuff. I mean, I have to say, I came into it completely ignorant of the fact that there was any, you know, refereeing alterations being planned or made. So Mm. when Party got booked, I assumed it was for the pull. I didn't realize it was for kicking the ball away. And I think 
uh, yeah, as City kind of got away with fouls and we were getting booked for off the field stuff, you could feel the tension building up in the in the stadium and mm. Arsenal fans were really quite pissed off. Um, I don't know if they showed it in the TV coverage, but the camera in the you know on the big screen kind of panned towards uh, Howard Webb in the stands at one point, and there were boos. Yeah, and there were huge boos <laughs> for him. You know, almost immediately after a couple of Arsenal players yeah. had been booked, as if it was a kind of like pantomime villain moment there. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it was it was frustrating, but without the context as well, it was all the more frustrating. Um, yeah, because they I were guess, saying, you know, sorry, they were saying on ITV, now they have been told. The referees yeah. have visited the training ground and they've all been told, so this is their own fault. It's not, you know, the referees are brilliant. This was the, the, the tone of the, the commentary. So, Yeah, and the, the, the thing is, is it felt without the context, like the referee was losing control of the game because in no way, shape or form was this a dirty game. Was this a game that was kind of, you know, full of edge or mm. anything like that, you know, kicking the ball five yards away is not, it's really not a reason to get a yellow card. Um, and Arteta doing what he did, which is obviously nothing, you know, unusual. I, was, I really laughed at his uh, comments after the game about being told off for his behavior and him yeah. saying, well, look, they basically told us three days ago, I can't change who I am in three days. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it felt to me like it was a bit, it was all a bit silly, but as you say, I mean, it sounds like, they're going to do a big early season push. There's a fairly high chance that players are going to end up getting red carded for stupid stuff. And they're going to hope that that then uh, provokes change. But what it's always going to do, it always does this, is that everybody gets pissed off with it and says, you guys have gone too hard and too fast. Some players are going to get punished for it really early. And by the end of the season, that rule will just not exist. Well, well I mean, even, even towards the end of the game, there was a moment where Partey went... Charging through midfield, Rodri literally hauled him back. It's the exact same foul mm. that Havertz got booked for. So, you know, when Havertz got booked, I was like, oh, fuck, I can't believe it. You know, this is bullshit after all the other fouls. Then they showed a replay of it. I went, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a clear yellow card. The guy ran past him. He tripped him up. Yellow card. No two ways about it. But what will get fans absolutely... Uh, crazy is the the lack of consistency uh, mm. in that decision making. So Rodri makes that foul. How he hadn't been booked up to that point, I just do not know. But you know he's pretty fucking Teflon. That guy. <laughs> he pulls him back. Same exact same foul that Havertz was booked for, and rightly booked for, and nothing. And on the TV they're saying, well, you know, it's about game management. It's in the last stages of the game. You know, referee's got to be sensible here. It's like, well, hang on. Is it a, is it a yellow card mm. or is it not? Is it a foul or is it not? You know, and I think, you know, I think there are good reasons to try and implement rules which um I don't know. You know, referees have got a difficult job. I think we can all understand that. And I think that, you know, respect for referees and respect for the officials, you know, not just at Premier League level or whatever, but at grassroots level, an example has to be set for uh, the way players should behave, right? But I'm also conscious of the fact that Arsenal fans and fans of Premier League teams pay a lot of fucking money to go and watch their teams for their season tickets and all the rest of it. And I really feel like a red card should be kind of the last resort to reduce any team to 10 men or nine men or whatever it is 
which impacts the 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 competitive nature of the game, the sport that you know people are paying money to go and see, they're paying money for their subscriptions, the broadcasters are paying a whole load of money because they want to uh, show the, the the best sport, the best football. I really feel like red card should be a last resort. So if a guy gets a yellow card for, you know, slightly nudging the ball away when it goes dead, as, as Partey did and I think Alvarez did, and then gets another yellow card for uh, what could be deemed an innocuous foul... Is that is that acceptable? Is that a good way to manage the game of football and the the product, if you want to call it that? That's where I would have some concerns about this. So I do wonder if they've missed the trick. I know we've talked a bit about how potentially you know you could implement an orange card like a sin bin kind of thing at some point, but you know if we're going to get a, a whole host of of kind of soft red cards in the opening months of the season, I think people are going to go crazy. They will go crazy. They absolutely will go crazy because if they start booking people for time wasting and stuff in the first half, and then they start doing it in the second half, well, they're going to have to send them off or they're immediately going to make a rod for their own back because they've mm. you know been inconsistent. Um, I know that we've always said, oh, you know, it'd be great if you could book a goalkeeper for time wasting the first half because then they won't do it in the second half. Yeah. But they are literally going to have to send someone else off for doing it twice for it to actually work because otherwise you're just waving yeah. cards around and then going, well, actually, you're off for the rest, you know, you're fine for the rest of the game now. Um, look, I, I, from what I could tell, they've tried to implement some of these rules because of the, the, the time wasting element and, and mm. the idea of trying to keep the, the, the ball in play. But it did seem that they slightly misjudged it yesterday. And the problem you always have is that there's a complete lack of clarity as to why extra time is being added on. You never really understand, you know, yesterday, not knowing that they were going to sort of implement the rule that they had at the World Cup uh, in, in Qatar. When eight minutes went up, I think a lot of Arsenal fans were pretty surprised. I mean, the fact that that then yeah. got even further extended by the the, the head injuries to, to party and I, who was it he clashed with? Walker, Walker? I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, you know, we were all looking around going, well, this is, I mean, obviously great for us, you know, eight minutes gives us a little bit of a, an mm. opportunity to do a final push. But, you know, we had no idea why it was added on. I still, you know, I'd love to see a breakdown of that. I'd love to have, you know, I don't know how you'd necessarily kind of... Uh, communicate that in stadium but i'm yeah. sure for people at home you probably could um but it's just it's a weird idiosyncrasy in a game which is very very precise and with so much kind of cash rolling through it these days that mm. that that can be the case i mean i've i've always tossed up in my mind the idea of whether or not i'd be in favor of a kind of nba style you know shot clock situation uh uh, you know where the ball, ball in play, yeah, yeah, you know, ball in play all the time, and it, you know, the clock stops in the moment it's out. I mean, it would be curious to see how that would how how that would work. I mean, obviously, much harder to implement at grassroots level sure. than all the rest of it. But you know, who knows? I mean, another aspect of this as well, and I don't know if you noticed this uh, early in the second half. Martin Odegaard went off, and he had to get some strapping, and then he was standing on the sideline gesturing for, for ages. But this is a new rule now. Apparently. So when a player goes off, they're not allowed back on after play restarts for 30 seconds. And what? this, yeah, this is, this is what they were saying on the TV. This is supposedly a deterrent for, you know, the way um, there has been a bit of discussion about how, oh, is he really injured there? Mm. Does he have a head, head injury? You know, so like, do you remember the, the, the end of the Bournemouth game where, 
the guy, I think he, they were falling over all over the place, you know, and, um, you know, you can go down and hold your head and play has to stop because the referee is like obliged to stop the game because it's a head injury. So I think what they're trying to do is is make a deterrent for fake injury, which I kind of understand. You've got to try and do something about it. But if a player is genuinely injured and requires treatment, why is he then further punished? Punished is not quite the right word. But, you know, if he goes off and if he gets his treatment, he should be entitled to come back on straight away. So I don't know how you quite manage that situation, but that's another thing that's going to um, affect people. Because I guess when you were in the stadium, you had no idea about that. And you were just going, why is this fucking referee not letting him back on? But that's exactly what everyone thought. So, you know, given everyone was already pretty disgruntled by the kind of innocuous bookings, to then see your mm. captain kind of stranded on the touchline while Manchester City launched wave after wave of attack, yeah, we were not impressed. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as you say, it, it, if there's a genuine injury and the player goes off because he's forced to because that's what the rules say, and then you've got to stand there for 30 seconds. I mean, 30 seconds is so much time in football. Can yeah. you imagine that at the end of a game where you've had a player off and, you know, it's a vital moment. You're trying to defend a corner or something. Yeah, and yeah. Suddenly you're down to 10 men, nine men, even if it happens with two players. I mean, it. yeah, I mean, again, that sounds like it's going to cause a few problems. I mean, it's not going to be like, the, it's not going to be the death of the game or anything, but there are going to be instances where people get unfairly punished there. So, yeah, yeah interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, well, there you go. Now now you do, and you can be prepared <laughs> for it. Angry about it get yeah. angry about it right throughout this season. Um, I mean, second half, it was fairly even, I thought. Um, City were a bit more proactive with the changes that they made. I think they brought on De Bruyne, and, I mean, they took Haaland off. I mean, we should talk maybe about a couple of individuals. William Saliba, I thought, was just outstanding uh, yesterday. The battle, if you want to call it that, with, with Holland was one that he absolutely won. Uh, there are a couple of moments where he, you know, he came out on top, but I just thought in general, the, the cleanness and the effectiveness of his defending was superb. Um, and I think, you know, right across the back line, across that back four, you can make a good case for, for some chat about all of those guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, Saliba looks like a guy who's getting back to his best. And, uh, you know, when you think about the summer and what we've done in the market, you know, with Rice, with Timber, who we'll talk about now in a second, with Havertz, you know, that, that contract renewal for, um, for Saliba is a, a, just an amazing uh, piece of business for this club. Yeah, huge. I mean, I know you referenced it in the blog today about the, the Zinchenko quotes about labelling Saliba as a Rolls-Royce player. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple of moments yesterday where, you know, there was one ball over the top and he kind of just chased it down, took the ball down, carefully shook off a man, made the pass, made it look so simple. Mm. And, you know, with the greatest of respect to Rob Holding, that's a moment I think under pressure from a player where he probably just hoofs it straight into the mm. into the stand just to be safe. Um, it was yeah, it was beautiful seeing him back. I mean, he's um, he's just so big and strong as well, and there's a there's a there's a real confidence about him. I mean, you know, I, uh, the stability that he and Gabriel together bring that defence and the the confidence. I think it kind of 
brings to the rest of the team around mm. them is just so it's so so important. I couldn't see exactly who it was that he uh, Saliba just sort of muscled off the ball in the box and just shield, yeah just shielded it out in the second half. That was the moment when the Arsenal fans gave Saliba the biggest roar in the stadium. I think, yeah, because it was a real sense of ah yeah we remember this yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. you know because. You know, it was a long time he was out at the end of last season. I was genuinely worried because I know what back injuries can do to person. And, mm. um, you know, he's he's obviously spent the summer training. He's also just underlining the fact that last season wasn't some kind of sort of one season wonder where he kind of <laughs> came into the team. You know, this is a bloke who really knows what he's doing. No, I agree. That was a, a really brilliant piece of defending. The way he just sort of watched Kovacic and then just got his body in front. Yeah. And there's no way. There's no way he's getting anywhere near it. You know, it's uh, it's great defending and great to see him getting back to something close to his best. We signed a right-sided center half slash right back from Ajax this summer. Mm-hmm. And we played him at left back yesterday against the treble winning, all conquering Manchester City. I mean, it's early days and I don't want to go too big, too early on Jurian Timber, but this boy looks like a hell of an addition, you know, not just in the way that he was able to contribute to the build-up uh, and the way that we played on that left-hand side. Again, you know, bearing in mind he is playing on his, you know, in inverted commas, wrong side, but the defending, particularly in the second half, I think, where he was called into action a bit more. There were a couple of moments where, you know, he was just absolutely outstanding. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, given that he's making tackles with his right foot from the left side as well, mm. I mean, I, I was really impressed by that. I mean, look, we, we watched him at, at SoFi in, in, in LA for the Barcelona game and we came away there sort of almost raving about him. And, mm. I mean, he's he's just so no-nonsense as well, you know. You look at him and his temperament is so kind of like, I got this, you know, I'm in charge, I know what I'm doing. It's a bit like Saliba, actually. It's just really like, you know, Composed. Key, composed, just kind of get on with it. Um, you know, there were a couple of moments on the ball where he did the the trademark kind of drops his shoulder, goes to turn one way and spins out the outside. And um, mm. the, the Arsenal fans love that. Absolutely loved him just sort of escaping from a man. I mean, he's he's obviously being asked to sort of invert a little bit like Zinchenko, but he's not doing it in the same way. You know, I didn't mm. sense really at all yesterday that all our play was going through him. He, uh, you know, he's a bit more direct. I think he has more pace than Zinchenko. Um, and, and Arsenal definitely were playing more through Thomas Partey, I thought. But, mm. um, you know, that's no bad thing. It's just it's just different. Um, I have to say, I think quite possibly our outfield player of the match yesterday. Um, I was really, really impressed with him. Um, look, I mean, we'll have to see what happens. I, I, I don't know if... If if the plan is obviously f- to keep playing him there at left back, I mean it's a bit of an odd one. It'd be curious to mm. see him at, at play at right back, which is obviously his, his stronger position. But when you look at how well Ben White's kind of doing again Oof. at the moment, it's kind of like it's it's really hard to take him out of the team. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought Ben White was low key excellent yesterday. Mm. Again, I know he set the bar pretty high, but uh, a lot of good well, stuff. Greenish, Greenish didn't do anything, did he? I well, mean, there was a moment about like. 20 minutes in, I don't know if you saw this, um, but Ben White just sort of went in on Grealish, just left a bit on him on the touchline. You could see Grealish turn around and like, go, what the fuck, man? And <laughs> Ben White just trotted off back into the middle, you know. But Grealish didn't do another thing. 
after mm. that. And I'm not saying it's, you know, entirely down to Ben White giving him a bit of a dig or, you know, a bit of a knee in the back or whatever it was. But, I, you know, I, I enjoyed the way he coped with, you know, a very good player in that position and got forward to really good effect as well. You know, mm. I think some of the moments where we were dangerous in, in both halves, he was involved with that, you know, himself and Saka. That combination is is really good. But I know what you're saying about Timber. It'll be very, very uh, interesting to see, you know, what he does on the right-hand side as and when he plays there. For now, though, I mean, it's just a, a pretty impressive um, competitive debut from him. Yeah, I mean, look, as, a, as an entire unit, they look big, big and strong, you know. And and I think you know mm. even if you take uh, if you take Timber out and put Kivior in again strong take White out put uh, Tommy Asu in again big strong boys you know yeah big big strong boys this is this is uh, the new Arsenal you know and yeah. when you've got Rice and Party there as well it does sort of start to make you look like okay if you're going to face up to some guys in the tunnel Arsenal look like they mean business nowadays yeah I think that's I think that's very deliberate. Very, very deliberate. You know, there's a, a technicality about this team, but also a physicality about this team. Um, and I'm absolutely sure that's a deliberate strategy from Arteta to to make sure that his team are not going to get pushed around. Because I think maybe he played in an Arsenal team or two that was a little bit lightweight, you know, and, and he does understand the need at this level for, for being physical. Um, I mean, let's talk about their goal, I guess. Not great defending that moment where we get caught uh, and uh, the opposition transition has been a bit problematic for us in recent times. And, and so it proved again, very good finish, but probably a little careless defensively. Yeah, I mean, it was what, just a few minutes after Timber had gone off and Tierney went on and mm. maybe the balance was slightly upset there. I mean, I felt a bit sorry for, for Tierney in that, you know, I know that he gets a slight touch on the ball, doesn't he, in the, in the build-up. Mm. Um, look, I, I, what I would say is it was also a, a brilliant finish by yeah, it was. A, a, a decent young player. Um, and when you looked at the way that Guardiola celebrated that, you know, that underlined how much it kind of meant to, to, to City. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit sloppy. I think you're right to raise the, the issues about, being, you know, on the transition. I mean, we have conceded a lot of sloppy goals in preseason. Mm. It felt like, you know, there's been sort of individual errors and and moments where you kind of think, oh my God, they've gone through and suddenly we've been punished straight away, which felt a bit like the tail end of last season. So there are elements where we need to, to tighten up. But uh, yeah, I don't know. What was your take on it? The goal? I mean, just one of those where if you are just a little bit sloppy, and I do think, you know, maybe the fact that Tierney had just come on, played a part mm -hmm. as well, you know, it's a lesson that you will get punished. You will absolutely get punished. Um, I mean, very good finish. I don't think Ramsdale could have done a great deal about it, but subsequently he made two very good saves, oh, you yeah. know, to keep us in it. There was the um, there was the one from Foden. Foden went through and yeah. then I think he just, I mean, it squirmed under Ramsdale's body, but he got his, you know, he got his body there. Um, I yeah, actually I mean, think the one from the corner afterwards that resulted was actually yeah. probably even better. It's a brilliant save, actually, because he has to readjust and get down with his with his right hand. I think it was a save from from Rodri. So yeah, yeah. you know that those moments where after you concede, you can be a bit vulnerable. I think that was evident, perhaps in in the way uh, that the game played out. Um, but 
you need your goalkeeper in moments like that to keep you in the game. And so it so it proved. Um, he, uh, Mikel Arteta, he put on, who did he put on? He put on Smith Rowe and Vieira, I think. Mm. Um, was Eddie back on? I think Eddie was on at that stage. Um, I can't quite remember. Yeah, I think it was Eddie who came on for Declan Rice, actually. Yeah, uh, that was just after their goal. And then you have those eight minutes of injury time. And Trossard is a guy who makes things happen for Arsenal and has made things happen for Arsenal since he joined. Uh, I do have a bigger question about him, which we'll save for part two. But, you know, sometimes you do need a little bit of luck. And uh, his shot deflected off a Kanji and in, and we go to penalties. Yeah, I mean, I, at that point in the game, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't holding out much hope for an equaliser, I have to say. I thought City mm. were just going to shut it down. But we, you know, I think the the fact that eight minutes of injury time were shown really boosted the Arsenal players. Um, they suddenly thought, okay, this isn't, this isn't done and dusted. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a nice little spell of possession, actually, in advance of the, the goal where I think uh, Trossard and maybe Vieira were sort of playing, and Smith-Rowe maybe as well, actually yeah. were playing it around on the touchline, some nice little touches. And oh, yeah, some back Arsenal, heels. Yeah, 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 exactly. And the Arsenal fans really got into that and, and, and sort of cheered and pushed the team on a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously you take a shot like Trossard, you're, you're hoping for the best. I mean, it was a ridiculous, ridiculous, um, ridiculous deflection, really. I, yeah. I saw uh, De Bruyne was asked in the, the mix zone after the game, what did he what did he think of the goal? And he just said, shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, which was quite funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, you know, they all can't. And the thing about it is, is, you know, you're in a game like this, you want to win it. You're playing against Manchester City, you're 1-0 down, it's right at the death and you score a goal and, you know, it's great, you know, because it gives you another chance. I mean, there was no question that, that Pep, um, having eaten well this summer, it seems. Um, <laughs> I've, I've seen a couple of questions about that. <laughs> Look, I'm not, I'm not here to stand in judgment myself. I've, se- I've seen our pictures from LA. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not judging a 52 year old man for. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, he he celebrated vigorously when they scored. Um, you know, our goal was celebrated vigorously, and as it should have been as well, because you know whatever else you say about the Community Shield, its importance, what it means. You know, those players out there have suffered at the hands and feet of Manchester City over the last couple of years. You know, there have been games where we've played well and we have not got the reward that I think we deserved. Um, you know, you think about the game on New Year's Day, the the late equaliser or winner, rather, for Rodri. Um, but I think it means and will mean something to them to have won this game, albeit on a penalty shootout, uh, practice makes perfect, I guess, when it comes to penalty shootouts. We've had a few this uh, a few this summer during preseason, deliberately so, perhaps with this in mind, or just you know as a as a useful exercise anyway. And having scored late and taken it to penalties, um, it was really really nice to to win it and to enjoy a penalty shootout as much as I did. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting seeing both Ramsdale and Arteta reference the fact that they practiced penalties. 
Um, and what's that? We scored nine out of nine in the space of four days because mm. um, all the ones against uh, Monaco went in as yeah. well. Did we get to five there? I can't remember. But anyway, I mean, they're all good penalties. Yeah. They're very composed. The players looked like they knew what they wanted to do, if not exactly where they wanted to place it. They knew the technique they were going to use to take it and how they were going to get the goalkeeper to go down or not. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I was really pleased. I mean, like, the, the last time Arsenal fans were, were were there for the Community Shield was the the one against Chelsea, which I think was a one-all draw with a class snatch header, and then we we won on penalties that day. Wasn't and there one against Liverpool same, as well? And there was one against Liverpool as well. Yeah, without same. fans. Yeah. Oh um, yes, that's right. Of course, there were no fans. Yeah. So I mean, it was you know the Arsenal fans were absolutely loving it. You know, obviously it was down our end. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, just very composed. I mean, I I saw there was a question about. Um, who should take our penalties this season, which I think is a question we kind of mulled over a post so far as yeah. well. Um, because Erdegaard goes up first, he takes his penalties with a, with a, you know, an interesting technique where he kind of sort of runs around the ball before stuttering and then putting it in. But he mm. looks very, very confident when yeah. he's doing it. And as a player who you expect to be on the pitch all the time, you know, he's making a decent case to be the guy who steps up and does Would that. Would you now. have him uh, over Bakayo Saka? I mean, look, we've seen Bakayo miss them. Uh, mm. I don't think we've seen Erdegaard miss anything, you know, in the in the few times that we've seen him taking, you know, penalty shootout uh, spot kicks. So, you know, uh, potentially, I mean, it's nice to have two options, uh, but there is an element now with Bakayo having missed a few where I do think, oh God, you know, maybe, you know, which one are we going to get today? Mm. Um, have to say massively, massively pleased for Vieira again. Uh, having missed the one against Manchester United, uh, took a little bit of stick for that, didn't he? He but did. Um, a two out of two now. A two out of two. You know, he's 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 done his bit coming off the bench in the same way that Trossard has in the last couple of games to kind of actually show a bit. I say he started against Monaco and I thought he was decent against Monaco actually, but against Barcelona he came off, put the ball in the top corner, you know, in, in open play. And then mm. uh, he's he scored this with, you know, I mean... It, it's just be- I mean, a-, a penalty that goes in the top corner is is always my favourite. I have to say. Yeah, the guy on ITV's coverage was it Mark Pugac? I think it could have been. <laughs> As he's signing off, he says uh, something like a Vieira penalty in the top corner yeah, to yeah, beat yeah. a Manchester club at Wembley. Where have we heard that one before? And Roy Keane <laughs> is sitting right beside him. <laughs> So well, Mark Pugac is a big gooner. So I mean, uh, well, there you that, go. That'll explain why he holds that so fondly in the memory. There yeah. you go. Yeah, a lovely little piece of uh, broadcasting. Even if you know he's probably not going to be on Roy Keane's Christmas card list. I'm not uh, sure. I'm not sure Roy around. Keane sends many Christmas cards. No, probably not. <laughs> or they all just go fuck off, you <laughs> cunt. <laughs> um, I mean, the celebrations and the scenes afterwards, I think, were were really nice. You know. We can all understand where the Community Shield fits in the grand scheme of things. We all know that. But still, you know, to to sort of bring this squad a boost of positivity, confidence, you know, the togetherness that you're looking for within a squad, you know, to lift the trophy, get the medal, dance around the pitch a bit, you know, all of those things – even if we can step back and objectively say, you know, it's, it doesn't mean anything really when it comes to the new season, you can still look at these as positive moments and and take positives from them because, 
you know what you what you do in preseason can have an impact on on how you go at the start of a new campaign. Yeah, and we certainly saw that last year. Mm. I felt like we really built up incredible momentum in preseason last year and carried that straight into the the first game of the season against Palace. Uh, look, I mean, it's an intangible thing, isn't it? Belief, but if all of the players are singing from the same uh, hymn sheet and mm. all talking about it post game, and the message had obviously been from Arteta. I mean, he was so keen to win the game when you talk, saw him speaking in the pre game press conferences. You know, win, 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 win. Time to do it. This type of thing. You know, yeah. he was treating it like it was the FA Cup final, the Champions League final, and. I think that was why the players celebrated so much because in their mind, they, you know, had a week or two of it being bigged up to be this important thing. And also, you know, Arteta also said, you know, when you're in front of all the supporters, you're here to win trophies. And it was a a joy to have that moment. And it Mm. is a moment that we can all walk away from and say, well, that was great. We went to Wembley, we won a trophy. Uh, Everybody had a great time. Now we've got to turn attention to Nottingham Forest, but you know that day will hold in our you know forever, and that's good. Um, the players have got something, and they can go and build on that now. Yeah, for sure. You know, and uh, the onus now, of course, is on you to um, get the tomato salad before every game this season. I would like, uh, yeah, everybody <laughs> to send me their tomato salad pictures before every game going into the new. Se- yeah, oh, there's your tw- your Twitter's <laughs> fucked now for the rest of the season. There's going to be tomatoes galore between now and. Uh, yeah. Between now and May. And look, you know, overall, I just think it was a good day, a good day for Arsenal. You know, a bit of resilience, if you want to call it that, maybe a bit of good fortune along the way. But I think we've had moments against Manchester City where we haven't had that rub of the green. And, uh, you know, it's about time it happened. And then to, to sort of clinically dispatch the, uh, you know, the penalties. And let's not forget Aaron Ramsdale made a save from Rodri, very good save as well, which you know really tilted that penalty shootout in our favour. Quite noticeable how the players went to him straight after mm. the final whistle, you know, in the week where that article came out in the Players' Tribune, and he's very open, very honest about all of it, and there is this, I guess you would say, existential threat in the, in the shape of David Raya, who apparently was at Wembley yesterday, uh... You know, that those were nice scenes as well. And I think, you know, what Ramsdale showed yesterday in his performance, you know, throughout the 90 minutes and in the penalty shootout, saving a penalty, you know, that if David Raya does come, he's not going to give up his place without one hell of a fight. And maybe that's part of the motivation. In terms from Arteta's point of view, you know, is to keep these guys absolutely and utterly on their toes because you cannot be any other way and achieve the things that we want to achieve. Look, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that the gap between Ramsdale and Turner was, was probably too big for Arteta to be comfortable with, right? You know, I think he wants all of his players and he's got that in almost every position now, you know, players of equal quality who are snapping at each other's heels, who are pushing them on in training. I think Turner's a, a very good shot stopper goalkeeper, but there are elements of his game that I don't think will ever get to the level that Ramsdale has. And for that reason, he'll never be a first choice goalkeeper at Arsenal. And I think, mm. you know, Raya has the quality on paper and we've seen, you know, two seasons in the Premier League now 
to, to do all of those things at the same level potentially as Ramsdale. I think it's great. I think I, I really want to see them pushing each other. And if one of them gets pissed off because they can't get in the team, that means that's because the other one's doing really, really well. Mm. You know? And that's that's a that's a great problem for Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. Who benefits? We do as a team. Yeah, you know exactly. So, um, I I just wanted to ask quickly mm. what what is the etiquette at the end of a penalty shootout when you've scored the winner but the goalkeeper's made one save? Like, who should be mobbed? <laughs> I know Ramsdale kind of got a lot of the love. But Vieira went off to kind of have his moment and maybe didn't quite. It was sort of like an eighty twenty split in favor of Ramsdale. You know? Uh, I don't. I, you know, I'd have to look at the footage again. But yeah, look, I think if you um, if you dispatch one in the top corner to win a penalty shootout, you know, probably that goalkeeper is going to uh, run over to you um, and celebrate. But I, I, I just think the circumstances of this week around Ramsdale yeah. were a big part of of how that played out. But. I'm sure Vieira's not that uh, not that fussed about it, you know. No, He'll be happy no. enough. He'll be happy enough. Having looked crestfallen against Manchester United to score two penalties from two uh, in his next uh, two games, I think, you know, is a, not quite a redemption arc of Granit Xhaka proportions, but certainly, <laughs> uh, you know, it will have done him a lot of good, a lot of good. So um, anything else from yesterday that you want to touch on before we take a break? Um... Erdegaard, just, mm. just, just, just mm. Erdegaard things. Just really very good, isn't he? I mean, he makes he... people fall over by just <laughs> wiggling his feet around and, and people fall over. I mean, we'll probably get into this when we talk about uh, some of the uh, departures and selling and all that kind of stuff, right? You know, we, we've all recognized that Arsenal have done and have done, uh, continue to do very good incoming business. I think the improvement is obvious to everybody. But £30 million for Martin Odegaard is genuinely one of the best bits of transfer business this club has ever, ever done. He is just, he wasn't even at his best yesterday. It wasn't one of his mm. stellar performances, but there were moments where you're just looking at him going, oh my God. How did how did you do that? You know, and uh, yeah, I think it's I think you're absolutely right to bring him up. Was it was it Alvarez who went down trying to yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. chase him, yeah. and then seemed to actually end up limping after the? Uh, I don't know if that was caught by the TV, but the crowd loved it because it wasn't just he got <laughs> got away from him. You know, as, yeah. as Alvarez got himself up and then started walking, and he was walking with a limp. The crowd just went up again, another <laughs> big roar. You know, I I, I do think there's a, what we're seeing at the moment is maybe. The, the the rice Erdegaard axis kind of still trying to get used to each other. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Erdegaard was brilliant and really good at just getting the crowd up at the right moments as well, which is, you know, that leadership quality that he's sort of growing into or growing. Um, yeah. Rice. I, we haven't spoken too much about, about rice. And I don't know whether we will in the second half, maybe with some questions, but I thought he, um, he was relatively quiet, but there was a moment again in the second half where he kind of, I think City were escaping with the ball and he just sort of turned on the afterburners. Yeah. Chasing back and one Silver. Ball. Yeah, just yeah. nicked it and off him, were, yeah. You were just like, ah, okay. I see what I see what you bring. You know, I mean, yeah. not that I needed a full remind, but it was no. just like a really nice kind of moment where you were kind of like, and again, the crowd absolutely loved that. It was mm. the kind of one moment where you kind of thought, ah, okay, I've seen it. I've seen it now. Yeah, I think he is settling in. I think he's going to mm. take a little bit of time to bed in and 
you know, perhaps it's not a bad thing that we're not saying too much about him at this point, which yeah. seems counterintuitive when you spend £100 million on a player, but you just want him to come in, do his job, uh, and I think he's done that and is doing that. But yeah, that was a great moment as well, you know, because uh, I think Arteta yeah. was a little frustrated that we didn't win that second ball, and then yeah. all of a sudden, vroom, he's just sort of chased down Silva and took the ball off him. There, there's actually, I don't know who's written this, but there's a really nice line in The Athletic this morning about Rice, which says, he will make Arsenal a richer symphony simply by being able to to play with contrasting moods um which i think is just a wanky way of saying you know sometimes he really goes for it and other times he can be you know just the uh the guy who sits back and is quite a calm presence right well i suppose we better check out who actually wrote that uh, before we call it wanky <laughs> one of our good friends you know <laughs> uh oh god here we go let me find it no i mean when i say wanky way i mean it's a you know it's a, I, I've, I've deliberately pulled it out as a as a nice piece of writing that's what i mean i'm not you know I can't even find it now. It was. Uh, it says by Mark Carey and Moore. Right. So I don't know who Moore is, but um, mm. collectively it was beautifully wanky. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And on that wanky note, we will leave part one of this show. We will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at AAllenSport and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. A reminder that you have until Friday 
to join our Patreon-only Fantasy Football League top prize, €1,000 in cash, plus other cash prizes, Arsenal shirts, a fourth-place trophy. Lots more besides if you sign up for Patreon as well. Exclusive podcasts uh, throughout the season, uh, ad-free podcasts, uh, poorly drawn month. Lots and lots for you to get your teeth into for just uh, over a five or a month. It's patreon.com forward slash arsblog, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Right, Andrew, as you are the uh, guest today, I will allow you to go first because uh, I don't have a question prepared. Okay, uh, I am going to go with one from Craig Clarson on Twitter, at Craig underscore number one. And he says, our subs often struggle to impact the game meaningfully. In Trossard, we get that almost every time he steps on the pitch. It makes you wonder what he needs to do to start. Is this the role Arteta sees for him as a trusted sub rather than from the start? It's a really good question. I had a similar one, if I can find it here... Um, let me see. Yeah, it comes on the Discord as well from Haran B, who said, uh, Arteta's mentioned a few times the concept of impact players. Do you think he sees Trossard as more of an impact player than a starter? And do you think his performance today makes Arteta likely to consider him a starter or just cements his place even more as an impact player? I think this is really interesting because... You know, having players who can affect a game from the bench is very, very useful and very important. But I think if you're a player like Trossard and you're 28, 29, you're going to want to play as much as possible. So I think it's going to be a bit of a balancing act for Mikel Arteta to find, you know, exactly the right way to, to use Trossard throughout this season. Like, I ideally, like all things considered yesterday, I would have started him as the nine. That would have been my choice as the nine over Eddie and certainly over over Havertz because I wasn't expecting that. But I figured he would play on the left because he did so well against Barcelona, did pretty well against... Um, did he play much against Monaco? I can't remember at this point. Um, uh, I think he came off the bench, maybe. Yeah. Doesn't matter. I can't remember. Doesn't matter. But, you know, I was fully expecting him to start yesterday because I think he has been the most impactful player of of preseason but Arteta obviously saw Martinelli and wanted to try Havertz there and you know all the rest of it I do have a suspicion that he is kind of seen as that as a really good option from the bench because he's got the quality and the experience to to change things if we need to but I also think the level at which he is contributing pushes him very much into the uh, equation as a starter as well. So I have to say, look, I'm very comfortable with him on the pitch, whether it's from the start, in the second half, as a sub, whatever it is. I, I really like this guy as a player. He's just so intelligent and smart. But I think Arteta is going to have to pay a little bit of attention to how many minutes he gives him. And, you know, there is maybe a risk that if he doesn't start sufficient number of games he's going to get a bit annoyed because he's not a 22 year old who's got it all ahead of him he is in the sort of the late summer of his career and he's going to want to play yeah I mean I think at this at this time of the year we're all quite prone to thinking short term and you kind of almost forget how long the season is and obviously mm. last year one of the things that we did which probably ended up costing us a bit was we put too many minutes into the legs of too few players we were so reliant on mm. a familiar starting 11 what you want is to have players you can do you know come in straight away and, and and do the job and if 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 trossard was to start 
games post-Champions League, for example, against, let's say, mid-tier opposition in the Premier League, you'd have absolutely no problem with him being on the pitch. If if he's then left to, to make an impact in some other bigger games, again, like I think he's going to get plenty of minutes. And mm. I think that versatility, whether it's playing off the left or playing as a false nine, is going to really be a massive thing for him. I... I I suspect he's he's okay. I mean, if you're if you're coming on to the pitch and scoring goals and making an impact, and everyone's talking about you as being the best thing since sliced bread, hmm. you might not be getting the minutes, but you're still getting the praise, and that's a that's a big thing for footballers. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm relatively confident that he'll get a lot of minutes, but I do think you know Arteta loves Gabriel Martinelli, who was relatively quiet yesterday but he he does something i think maybe trossard doesn't do which is that pace of his really stretches defenders and Mm -hmm. really makes them think about where they're going to position themselves how they're going to play a high line and all the rest of it so uh yeah i i wouldn't i wouldn't be too stressed about it i mean the other thing is that we always at this time of the year just assume everyone's going to stay fit and they never do (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah yeah of course so it's quite possible i mean look we've already got gabby jesus sort of struggling um so yeah. yeah, there's there's always going to be injuries as well. Yeah. So he'll get minutes. I agree. I I think he will get plenty of minutes. You know, when you talk about Martinelli, he's a guy who got 15 goals in the Premier League last season. You know, we're not talking about uh, having to um, go up against somebody who's ineffective. And I think Martinelli uh, has different qualities to Trossard, and they might be useful at different uh, different periods in games, perhaps, or against particular opposition. And I think. Perhaps this season, more than any other, we're going to have to move away from the idea of first choices in positions and think more about who plays against this team, who plays because A, injury, fatigue, you know, the schedule, the Champions League, all of that kind of stuff. Um, there's there's loads of minutes to go around. Um, and ultimately, whoever starts or whoever comes on and, and, uh, and scores goals is giving Mikel Arteta the best kind of problem and best kind of headache that he can have as a manager. So uh, long may it last. You mentioned Gabriel Jesus. Here's a question from Greg Justum on the Discord. He said, are you both happy with our quality and depth for number nine going in to this season? I'm assuming Balagoon is being sold. Am I happy? I mean, you always want more as a football fan, don't you? If someone mm. told me, oh, we're going to go out and spend a hundred million buying a, a new number nine to, to challenge for for the role. I mean, you'd, you'd kind of take it, but I just don't think it's realistic at this point. When you look at the money that's been spent and where we've spent it, I think we've done well to raise the level in areas that we needed to raise it. And I think we've got goals in the team in a way that we didn't have goals in the team a couple of seasons ago. I think more than anything, I think in the... Did they say yesterday in the coverage, you know, Arsenal scored 88 goals and it was 16 goal scorers more than anyone else in the Premier League or Mm. something? I mean, it was, we found a way to share the goals around. Um, And I think, obviously, you look enviably at a a 50 goal striker like Haaland at at City. Um, And, you know, Liverpool have had Salah for for, for years doing that. But if we can keep sharing the, the goals around, I think we'll be okay. And, you know, last year going into the season, I was a little bit worried that we didn't have a kind of second option up front. And I guess Havertz kind of brings that with the height. Uh, we've also added Trossard in that period. I, I think we've got, I think we've got enough. I think we've got enough. And I don't think Gabriel Jesus's injury is as bad as people maybe think. Like, I think he could be back inside a couple of weeks and 
you know, mm. we'll, we'll be fine. And then if he's back, then you've only got the head scratcher of, well, you know, which which number nine are we pissing off by not picking him? So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think we're okay. That's my, my opinion at the moment. I mean, I, I have some concerns and some worries, but I think what you said about how we score goals as a team somewhat offsets that. Like I, you know, spoken many times about Eddie and we've spoken about Havertz and we've spoken about Trossard there and you have Gabriel Jesus there. So you've got four options and, you know, at a push, you can put Gabriel Martinelli there and maybe at a push, at a real push, if it comes right down to it, you know, Emile Smith-Rowe has been used as a false nine. I'm not advocating and saying that that is, you know, what we need to do. Uh, but those are options that Mikel Arteta has available to him. The fact that we do have players like Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli scoring goals from midfield is important. I think one thing that maybe sort of makes me worry just a little bit is, you know, the fact that that, uh, we need Kai Havertz to score goals regardless of where he's playing whether he's starting as a nine or whether he's starting, you know, in the Xhaka role as the eight. Uh, we also probably need Declan Rice to score some goals if he's starting in the in the eight role, that Granite Xhaka role, because Xhaka ended up, I think, with seven goals and seven assists. That's 14 goal contributions from Granite Xhaka last season. I know that's not the usual from him, but we're not a team that is, right, get it up to the big man, and he's going to loaf home 30 headers and score 30 goals. We're not that kind of a team. Nevertheless, I think if if Balagoon goes, I wouldn't be averse to another forward of some kind. I really wouldn't. I think there's still room in that squad for another forward. But I don't quite know where exactly they would fit in because, you know, Reese Nelson has got to come back into the squad yeah. as well. Um, so, like, I'm I'm not 100% convinced, but I'm not madly worried, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, realistically, I think if Balogun goes, any money recouped there is going to offset what we've already spent as opposed to be a new pot of money to be spent before the end of the window. And I also think at this point, you'd probably have heard murmurs of a link with a striker. Mm. And we have not heard a peep really about any number nines that we might be looking to sign. And I think that's always quite indicative of what is actually going on in the market because, you know, I've been keeping a track of who's been linked in what position and you tend to see them clumped, right? We had a lot of right backs kind Mm. of linked. We had a lot of right wingers linked, although nothing ever actually happened on that front. And we had quite a few kind of holding midfielders linked, but we've not seen anything up front. And I think that probably means that we've not really been making it. We don't see it necessarily as as a priority right now. And look, that's if you go out and you buy a number nine and you really rely on them and they get injured, you're, you're, you're in a bit of Mm. a pickle. Um, you know, we're obviously desperately hoping, you know, Haaland uh, doesn't perform to the levels that he did last year. But if he got an injury, which he's had before at Dortmund, uh, City would have to figure that out. And it would be a much bigger thing for them to figure out than it has been in recent years, given their reliance on his goals. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm actually quite, I'm quite relaxed on that front. I think if we can just keep getting players into the box, we're going to create so many chances. It's mm. just about being a little bit more clinical. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Do I have a question is what you're going to ask. That is. Yeah. Okay, so... I'm going to go with this one first because I've got another one lined up for later. Uh, this one was on Twitter at Matthew Miller or Matt at Matt Miller. I'm sorry. At Matt X Miller two. God, that's a mouthful. Okay. Do you think Pep was so jealous that Arsenal signed Timber that he added some lumber of his own around his midsection? <laughs> I mean, it's definitely like quite it. curious seeing a man who's been kind of pencil thin, just with a slight, mm. slight belly there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> who knows how he's altered his diet this summer, you know? He's gone carb heavy. Where they went on their preseason tour and they were in Japan. So I don't know if you're going to get, you know, if sushi's the. Uh, the too much rice. Loading, you, yeah. too, too much, much rice? rice. He's trying to make up for the rice deficit that he had in the summer, you see. <laughs> so it's lumber for tim- timber and rice for rice. Fair enough. Let me ask you a real one. Um, Khalil Kierans, who's at Lord Khalil on Twitter, says, uh, Goodly morning. I saw a lot of people annoyed by the relatively low fee for Turner. Um, did I see this morning that um, David Ornstein has said that uh, basically it's all done between Nottingham Forest and Matt Turner and Arsenal, I think? Um, he. Uh, the question here is, why do people care? Have an Arsenal <laughs> proved that they will spend even without selling? Times have changed since the sell-to-buy era of 10, 15 years ago. Um, Do you care? I I care about the perception that Arsenal aren't capable of being able to sell quality players for the money that, you know, Mm. they should be worth, I guess. Um, I think it's an important part of balancing the books and, Ultimately, you can't just be reliant on the Cronkies sticking their hand in the pocket or whatever loan it is that we're paying. I mean, balancing the books is part and parcel of modern football these days. I mean, financial fair play reason uh, rules exist for a reason. And um, I don't think we're just sort of, I don't think we've got endless pockets. We are not Manchester City. We are not Mm -hmm. PSG. We're not any of the clubs in Saudi Arabia. We do have to sell for, for decent money. Um, I have actually, I haven't seen a, a, a figure attached to the, the Turner deal. Seven million. I mean, seven million is not amazing given we paid seven million for him. And I think over the course of the last year, his profile has increased significantly. Mm. Um, I mean, he is the United States number one goalkeeper. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that figure is a little bit low in my mind. I would look, I'd definitely be looking to get double figures. I mean, yeah. Backup goalkeepers, as I think you know, you and James have discussed that they're not ten a penny, and um, yeah, I I think I think he's a perfectly decent goalkeeper. I mean, we didn't do very well getting a fee for Leno, although we have with add-ons, thankfully, managed to sort of creep that up towards the seven million pound mark. I think at this point, mm. um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a low fee. I do, yeah, I do care. I th- I think we should be getting more for that. I mean, I, obviously, I don't know the structure of the deal. I don't know what the you know, the add-ons are, I don't know anything about it really. So I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm in the dark on all of those fronts, but, yeah. um, you know, it's possible that, uh, yeah, 7 million might be a little bit. Lower. Yeah. I mean, I think we paid, I think the price we paid was around five and a half million, I think is what okay. it came out. So there is a, a little bit of profit. I mean, my gut feeling on this is that it's probably not too far off what his actual valuation is based on the fact that 
I don't think he made a Premier League appearance for us. He played in the Cups and played in mm. Europe, so he didn't play in the Premier League. So he's still got no experience in, in the Premier League. I know he's a high-profile international goalkeeper. So I don't think we're too far off what his actual valuation is. I just feel like we definitely, definitely overpaid for Matt Turner by quite a lot. You know, that, that fee was really surprising to me, you know, from an M MLS club that it was that high was really surprising. Yeah. Yes, it was. I mean, compared to the, the trusty deal, which was a bit more of a kind of, you know, we'll, we'll chuck a couple of million there and just take a punt and see what happens. And, yeah. we, you know, more than doubled our money on, on him after a season in the championship with regular football at Birmingham. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it was, a, I mean, I was, it was a head scratcher from the outset, that deal for me, not just because he come from the MLS, but because he, you know, admitted himself that playing out from the back and playing football with with the ball at his feet wasn't wasn't his strong point. Mm. It seemed like a really odd decision given Arsenal's proclivity to do exactly that with pretty much yeah. every every move. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a weird one. I mean, it, we're we're now in a situation where off the back of a US tour, we could sell three US internationals in the, sp in the space of a couple of weeks. Yeah, geez. Um, it all looks a little cynical, doesn't it, when you take a couple of them with you on the tour? But Maybe. I, I mean, Balagoon, Balagoon didn't play and Trusty didn't yeah. really play. I think he took part in the, the All-Stars thing and Turner was obviously on his holidays after mm. being away on, on international duty. I mean, I do get, and, and like you, I do care that we can sell well because there are benefits to selling well. You know, if you can sell well, you can buy more. Yeah. And when you want more upfront or when you want, you know, the team to add maybe an extra piece, um, selling well will allow you to do that. So I do care from, from that perspective. And I think the perception and one that we still have to get over of Arsenal being a club that, that doesn't sell well I think it's more important now. I think when you're accused of not selling well and what you're trying to sell is Mustafi and Cedric and Kolasinac, I think there are mitigating factors there. Like the world's greatest salesman couldn't get much for those guys. But when you're in the market where you're looking to move on someone like Balogun. You're looking to move on an international goalkeeper like Turner. You're looking to sell perhaps Kieran Tierney and Rob Holding and, you know, various players who are, if not surplus to requirements, certainly um, players who could move on this summer. I think you do have to try and change that perception as, as much as possible. So, I'm curious to see what the exact figure for Turner is, how the deal is structured, if there's any add-ons. You know, I feel like Arsenal, if the fee was big enough, would be briefing a little bit about that, you know, to try and get that perception out there. So mm. we'll see what happens. I mean, there, There is one last element, which is over the last few years, you've seen the prices for players associated with clubs who are doing well kind mm. of go through the roof. Yeah. I mean, Liverpool were a prime example of being able to get huge fees for fringe players just because they seem to be Liverpool players. Um, I know the, the the young England goalkeeper who's at City who just moved for, what was it, 15 million quid to, mm, uh, your, to burn. your friend to move to Burnley. Oh, Billy Cockermouth, yeah. <laughs> whatever his name uh, is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever his name is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, 
what you want is to see the fees going up because it represents the fact that your, your club is being taken seriously. You know, mm. that they think that you are a, a decent club. For, as you said, like the last few years, we've been able to barely get anything. I mean, I, 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 I'm curious to know at the start of the window when Arteta and Edu looked at the squad and who they were going to get rid of, how much they were hoping to recruit mm. and where they feel that they're at on that pathway at the moment you know we've had what 20 million odd for for Xhaka which was actually in the end higher than we were initially it was initially reported mm-hmm. I think trusty's not bad uh five million you know I think that's all think, to me that's all right you know that's all right you know for, for for what he is and for what he's done um but you maybe maybe they think they can get more for Balogun and you start thinking well, okay well if we're going to get more for him and slightly less for Turner then it all balances out in the end we're all we're, we're aiming for a kind of a, a, a sort of overall figure yeah. um i mean the Balogun one is very interesting because obviously there's a lot of chatter about Inter Milan and i think he um i've seen some people uh, suggest that his uh, instagram uh, activities <laughs> uh, were him simping for inter just a little bit but what they're offering isn't brilliant. I mean, how how do we how do we stand on the idea of Balagoon being sold to a Premier League club for fifteen million pounds more than Inter were offering? Would people be happier with that? You know what I mean? Because if he goes to Inter, it's like a sale that can't hurt you. Yeah. If he goes to Brentford or if he goes to West Ham, for example, and you get more money, is it better to have more money? I you know. I don't know well, how people feel about these things. Not if he scores against us and denies us the title, you know. I mean, here's <laughs> it's a, far more than 15 million. It's, it's sleepless nights for the rest of our, you know, our lives. Here's a serious question, though. I mean, we're selling Matt Turner to the team that we're opening the season against. Is there any case to be made for, yeah, we'll do the deal, but we'll do it after we play? Yeah, 100%. Just, you know, we slow it down until Friday afternoon until we sign that final piece of paper. And then you say, mm. right, you can announce it on Sunday. Mm. Like, you're not... <laughs> I'm not sending him there to train this week so that he can save a penalty from Saka, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. No, it, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I'm sure the club have thought that through though. <laughs> yeah. You know. Look, I, I suppose the thing is if they're prepared to sell a player, you know, you're going to have to face them at some point. If you're going to sell them to another Premier League club, you're going to have to face them at some point. doesn't matter if it's the first game of the season or the 15th or whatever. Mm. So it probably isn't a factor, and I would expect that deal to go through pretty quickly this week, whether Matt Turner starts uh, against us on Saturday, maybe just hangs around in London, you know, just hangs around the away dressing room for the rest of the week, uh, gets things ready for his new mates. Um, mm. You know, does it make any real difference? I'm not sure. But, you know, those are the those are the sort of frightening um, games our mind plays with us. You know, they're facing the former player thing and all the rest of it. So uh, we'll see. Okay, uh, your question, I think. Um, I mean, we've slightly touched on him uh, in the first half, but this one's from uh, at Callum on the Discord. Has Fabio Vieira had the most important preseason journey of any of our players? Early on, we were worried for his career at Arsenal. Now he must feel ready to launch into the new season full of confidence. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's been beneficial to him to, you know, to stand up and show a bit of character after missing that penalty against Manchester United. And he uh, scored one against Barcelona and obviously scored the one yesterday. I think it will do him good. He's one of those players that, that clearly Mikel Arteta has belief in and has some faith in because he uses him. 
and continues to use him um, because we know when he doesn't have faith in the player, he doesn't. You know, that player doesn't doesn't get on the pitch a great deal. So I'm curious to see. I think I have this sort of slight suspicion that maybe in the Champions League, he might feature a bit more than in the Premier League, you know, depending, of course, on who, who we draw. But I just wonder if the, the slightly more continental games might suit him a bit better than some of the, the more rough-and-tumble Premier League games because he's still quite slight. Uh, and I don't know that that's going to change. But what can change with experience is your ability to deal with it. You know, we've seen other players at other clubs who – have a similar kind of stature, similar kind of build, and they thrive and they can contribute and they can uh, become very important players. I mean, Bernardo Silva is a, you know, he really annoys me. I don't know what it is. It's just something about his head. But he is, you know, a very, very good player and, you know, not much bigger than Fabio Vieira. So I'm hoping that over the course of this season, he develops. I mean, last season he came with an injury, didn't have preseason. You know, I think that does make an impact and, he wouldn't be the first player to have a difficult first season in England and then find his feet. So I'm hoping that's the case. There were some really nice sort of pictures of Arteta giving him paternal like hugs at the, uh, mm. at the end of the game there. You know, really, really happy for him to have kind of had a decisive moment. And I think he talked about the impact the substitutes made, you know, coming off the bench in Trossard mm. and, and Vieira. So, uh, I mean, we last season in particular we, the story started to filter out didn't they about the rebranding of what it meant to be a substitute at Arsenal you know that kind of uh, rugby style finisher mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a sort of really interesting kind of psychological uh, yeah sort of rebrand of, of, of that role I mean he's been playing quite a lot off the right hasn't he in pre-season a kind of almost backup for, for, for Saka partly I guess because Nelson's been injured but yeah, I mean he is one of these players who has the versatility, but maybe unlike, uh, I don't know, actually, unlike Trossard, maybe isn't knocking on the door for a start quite as much. But, you know, time's on his side, really. I mean, he's got a long-term contract. And I think, as you say, he's got the faith of the manager, so he should be okay. All right. He'll play a bit. Uh, Where is the question I was looking for? Um, Boom, boom, boom. It comes from Joe on Twitter, at Red and White 11 He says, did it seem to you they were looking to make an example of Arteta's touchline behavior at the very first opportunity yesterday? Seemed like they were very prepared for it and ready with the yellow. Will he get sent off this season? Uh, well, I mean, if, if Mikel Arteta continues to be the Arteta that we, we know and they are deliberately stamping down on this stuff, Quite possibly, yeah. And I think what's really interesting is there's been a rule change, hasn't there? If he, if he does get sent off, he doesn't get to go to the stands. He has to go to the dressing room and he's not allowed to have any contact with the players. So that would automatically make you think twice, I think, if you mm. couldn't even watch the game. I mean, you can imagine Arteta in the last few minutes of a big game sent off just sitting in the dressing room like a... Well, they would have a TV <laughs> in the dressing room, wouldn't they? Well, they yeah, but you, you can't... Know. I mean, you can scream. I guess he can. It was be like his uh, when he had COVID and he missed mm. the, the City game. But I think I think you wouldn't want to be faced with that situation. Um, I, 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 I just... The idea that you have to stay inside this box of which there is no... I don't think defined size 
you know, it varies depending on what stadium you're at. Mm. You know, this, uh, it's not like he's gaining any advantage from being any closer to the pitch at the Emirates as opposed to Wembley, as opposed to Old Trafford or anything like that. It all just seems a bit kind of... Arbitrary, you know, right? Arbitrary, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But if it's the screaming at the fourth official and the behaviour, that I can kind of understand why you might tone it down a little bit. But he, I mean, he certainly is, he is who he is. And... um yeah, I mean, it's going to be very, very. I mean, he obviously found it quite difficult yesterday to just sort of, as he said, like he said, I, listen, I cannot change my behavior in three days. It's a very difficult thing to do. We try our best. I try my best. I understand the rules. I understand where they're coming from, but we can get frustrated because sometimes we don't understand what part of the technical area we are in. But it's fine. We will adapt. Mm. Um, I, I, how damaging do you think it is if the manager gets sent off in a game? I think. I mean, it can be, it can be because, you know, they're the, the figurehead of, of the team and they make, ultimately they make the decisions, you know, so if a manager sent off and in the final 20 minutes, you have got a decision to make about who comes off, who goes on, all those things. Like I don't buy for a second that if Arteta or any other manager got sent off, there wouldn't be some communication with the bench. You know, I know they say you can't, but like, of course you can you know, there's there's people who can shuttle back and forth between the dressing room. There are, you know, these um, mobile devices that allow you to talk to anybody anywhere <laughs> in the world all at once, you know. So uh, I do think it is a bit damaging, though. Mm. I kind of agree with the, uh, the question in that I think he is probably or was probably very much in the spotlight when it comes to touchline behavior because of all the focus that was on it last season uh, from various, you know, idiotic people that we all know uh, going on and fucking on about it. But the reality is that put him in the spotlight a bit. I think the booking yesterday was for asking for a booking because when uh, I can't remember what foul it was, I can't remember who got fouled. Uh, let me just go back on the. Well, in which case, I mean, the referee should have gone around and red carded the entire Arsenal end at that point. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. All, all the fans sent you all home. Um, <laughs> let me see. I think it was Havertz was, yeah, it was a, a, a Havertz foul. Uh, Havertz was fouled by Rodri. I'm very much a borderline yellow card, given the precedent that had been set earlier in the game. And I think Arteta was booked for his reaction to that. Um. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he was sent off because uh, it's all well and good saying you can't change your behavior in three days. But in three days, you've got another game and you're going to get sucked into the into the the passion and, and the way that football... Um, like, there's so many people who are different people on the pitch and on the sideline, whether it's managing or coaching or playing... You know, I've known so many people who are completely different characters outside of the 90 minutes. And it's not malicious or anything like that. It's just who they are and how they experience the game. And I think he is somebody who gets very sucked into it in a, in a visceral way. And I'm not sure he's going to be able to adapt quite as quickly as the rules have changed. So let's see. I mean, if I was a betting man, I'd probably put a fiver on him getting a yeah, a red card sure. at some point um, in the early part of this season. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember whose question it is next. I think it's mine, and um, I had one here that was 
slightly aligned with this. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Having a nightmare. Yeah, it's from Jensen Armour, who's at Jensen Armour. He said, morning, gents. Any sign of Arteta's new assistant manager? Mm. We're a week out from the start of the season. No replacement has been found. Surely someone was lined up if Steve Rand was released. And then he says, who would you like to see take up the role? And I have no strong opinion on that whatsoever. I did ask while we were away in the in the States, um, you know, if anything was being planned there and there wasn't really uh, any information on that at this point. I mean, are you expecting anything? It doesn't seem like there's anything happening at this moment in time. But, you know, he is and was a, a, an experienced figure on the bench. There are people there. Obviously, there's no lack of coaching staff or, or anything like that. But when a big figure or a fairly uh, high-profile figure departs, you do expect a replacement. Um, yeah, so I, I've done a little bit of probing on this. And from what I hear, the decision was made by Arteta. It wasn't that Steve Round suddenly had another job offer or was mm. expected to take another role elsewhere. I think Arteta looked at Steve and said, thank you very much. You've been amazing for the three-year journey that we've been on. And I didn't have anyone really around me that I knew. Mm. Uh, but maybe the time has come to to set a different tone in the dressing room. You know, mm -hmm. if you look at the other guys who were there, a lot of young guys, uh, Carlos Cuesta in particular, you know, important guy, young. Um, I think I think it was a... It was a, a thanks very much, but we've got what we need here mm -hmm. now. You know, those young guys came in. I'm having a complete brain fart and can't remember the name of the other. Uh, Miguel uh, Molina. Miguel, Miguel Molina. Yeah, exactly. I think collectively what you're seeing is those guys building experience and, and maybe having a slightly stronger voice in the dressing room. And, you know, Albert as well has, has been there for a long time, Has was the go-to guy when Arteta wasn't on the touchline. Mm -hmm. um, and I... I don't know many clubs that actually have two assistant coaches at the same level, right? There's not that many. It's, it's not a role that you needed to have two. I mean, Arsene had Pat Rice and then he had Steve Bold and that was all he, you know, mm. borrow obviously around as well. But we've got, I think collectively, I mean, you've seen the size of the training staff. I yeah. Mean, they took 40 or 50 odd to, to the States. It was crazy. Um, so there are people to do everything, you know, lots of specific roles now. Um, so I'm not concerned about it, but I, I, I have been kind of curious that there's not been much said about it. And maybe that is because the decision was made on the Arsenal side and mm -hmm. they'd rather not talk about it too much. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Um, yeah, I'm sort of with you. I mean, I think if we talk about strength and depth or squad depth or coaching depth, I mean, this is where it gets really, really granular, isn't it? And mm. uh, I don't think this is something we used to worry about too much. Like, who's going to be the assistant assistant coach? <laughs> um, and I feel like if Arteta wanted somebody, he would get somebody. You know, he's basically been given everything he wants by the football club. And if he wanted a Steve Rand replacement, that would be that will be done for him. So maybe it's I, something that happens down the line a bit. I don't know. Yeah. I imagine he gets plenty of CVs. Lots of people asking to connect on LinkedIn, you know, that for sure. Yeah, Here is yeah, my yeah. 58 tweet thread on tactics and why football, you don't even need the ball to play football these days. This is it. <laughs> um, um, I've got another one here okay. actually from the discord. Um, 
obviously yesterday was very, very enjoyable. Arsenal fans were smiling and jumping up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, out uh, so on the Discord, it's at Count Swagula on the Discord. It says, who is the most annoying officer of the celebration police? And I'm going to provide a, an abridged version of the second half of this, which is, uh, is it Richard Keyes or is it uh, Rio Ferdinand? I mean, it's obviously Richard Keyes, but I thoroughly enjoyed both Tim Stillman and Lewis Ambrose roasting Rio Ferdinand on, on Twitter yesterday. Um if you haven't seen those tweets, go look them up because uh, he absolutely got put in his place uh, by the two boys there. So, yeah, look, Rio Ferdinand is just uh, very annoying in general. Uh, Keys, uh, more annoying from a distance, but I'm sure we'll hear plenty from him throughout this season. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, with Ferdinand in particular, I always find it just so intriguing that players can completely, like, blank out the fact that they themselves were players and had emotions and lived through these moments. And yeah, I mean, enjoyed the robots. Are you, you know, you, you play a football match in front of 80,000 people. It goes to a penalty shootout. What are they supposed to do? Just stand on the halfway line, clap Ramsdale from a distance, go and get their medal and go home. Yes. I mean, Jolly good show, old chap. Now let's, it's, it's let's just, calm it's it just down. such pathetic kind of, I think there's a level of jealousy there as well, actually. You know, I think particularly, Manchester United ex-players and, you know, some of their support, they're getting quite snipey at the moment. Mm. And I think it's because they've realised that Arsenal aren't actually going anywhere, um, that they've actually sort of done something which United haven't done in the last few years, which is get their house in order. Um, I think maybe United are, you know, they're, they're, they're on the way with Ten Hag, but there's a lot of shit going on off the field there that still undermines a lot of the good stuff that he's mm. doing. Uh, so, yeah, I expect to hear quite a lot more from the, you know, the ex-United brigade who, like the ex-Arsenal brigade, are kind of quite heavy in the media scene. So, yeah. lots of skulls, lots of Ferdinand, lots of Keane, lots of, yeah, Neville. I think we'll get I, a lot of it. I yeah. was told Gary Neville tipped Arsenal for the title. I didn't see this. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought well, that we, gives him something to, you know, because he'll said. do that now, and then it just gives him a stick that's to beat exactly us with. Exactly. That's what I said. That li- I said that little <laughs> prick. He did that on purpose because, you know, when if we don't win the title, he'll go, ah, I see they're not performing. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, enough about those little fuckers. I just enjoyed this one from uh, the Discord from the legend of Sally Baba, uh, who said, are you worried that Arteta and the boys are going to struggle to motivate themselves for the rest of the season, having already won the quadruple, Community Shield, MLS All-Star Skill Challenge, MLS Cup and Emirates Cup? Winning is a habit, though, so uh, hopefully they can take that uh, all the way between now and May. Right, we had better leave it there for this particular episode. Andrew, thank you very much uh, for filling in. Great to talk to you as always. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah, everybody enjoy their tomato salads this season. For sure. And uh, to you guys, thanks for being here. We will have more stuff for you during the week. There's all kinds coming uh, because the season is beginning on Saturday. Plenty to preview in, uh, in Word and in print on the blog and everything else. For now, take it easy and we will catch you on the next one. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.